we long for, the hope we need, would you refresh that in our mind and hearts in this moment during this service? Lord, we come to you, and some, uh, this has been a hard season, that Christmas brings up uh, past hurts or maybe a struggle with a family member or a struggle right now, and we just ask for your special comfort and presence. We know for some, Christmas is missing somebody this year. So there's some heartache, there's some, some sorrow, and so we ask for your comfort and peace as we're reminded of the difficulty of this life as we look for the coming to the new life. And so, Lord, we just know with all these emotions and thoughts, we ask for you to be near each one, be with us in this moment as we worship you and celebrate you. We celebrate the King of Kings who came down as a little baby to save us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to Christmas Eve. It's great to have you here. I'm Pastor Ryan. If I haven't met you before, I appreciate you spending your Christmas Eve with us. And as we advertised, it brings the return of real fire after a couple years of battery-powered fire. So if on your way in you did not pick up a candle, we're going to have some candle lighting uh, after uh, at our last couple songs, there's a table right outside those doors if you wanted to slip out and get some, uh, just so that you're ready, so you're ready to go. But um, to start us, uh, start my message tonight, I, I was going to tell a story, and I'm usually very uh, humble with the stories. I don't like to brag. I don't like to tell parts of the past that are braggadocious, but there was a time in my life that I was part of an elite team. An elite team, you've heard of Navy SEALs, maybe. You've heard of Army Rangers, perhaps. But I was part of this elite team when I was in college called Campus Security. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, we were better known on Western's campus as the Green Coats because we wore a very intimidating green jacket that said security right on the back. I carried a large mag light and a big ring of keys, okay? Uh, I, I had to open the entire campus every morning, and I could do it in about an hour and a half. It was like 200-some doors, okay? So I'm talking elite team. Are we, we, we with me now? So, so part of this campus security, sometimes I did the morning, 4 a.m. to 8 a.m., opening the doors, and sometimes I did the evening uh, shift, 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., just walking around, you know, telling people, no loitering here, take that party over there, you know, just high-level stuff. But um, most of the time, you just watched your clock and tried to go home. But uh, so during this time, I'm patrolling, it's night, it's on Western's campus, and an event happened that brought some real fear to me, some real fear. I don't know if you've been somewhere where there's real fear, but I was, I was outside, and I was walking, and it's just me and my mag light, and keys and green coat. And so there's this place, I'm going to show you some pictures so you know what I'm talking about, but there's this place on Western's campus that has this stone sculpture uh, that you can go inside of. So that's the side view. Here's the aerial view. So when you look in there, you see how it's a, a small concentric circles there. There's an inner circle and an outer circle. And so this is on, on Western's campus. Here's the view looking through the doorways. You see, that that's not me. But um, 
So you can go in and kind of walk around one lap, and then you can go into the inner ring and go around. And so that's, that kind of gives you a, a sense of where I was. It was dark, and I was walking, and I thought, okay, I'll go walk through here. Sometimes people go in there and want to party in there or, or misbehave in there in some way. So I'll just go through and make sure the... It's kind of like a Stonehenge in my mind. It's not what it is. But uh, I'll just go check it out. So I go into this thing, and... Um, and I, I'm looking around, and then in the middle is this blanket is on the ground, and there's this girl sitting there, a college-age girl, I mean, and, uh, and she's got all these little vials around her. So it's a little bit like, well, what is this? You know, little, like, ritual kind of vials, you know, a ritual things going on. I'm like, well, I don't know. So, you know, I did my very professional, are you okay? Can I help you with anything? No, I'm fine. I'm fine. And so I, you know, tried to make some kind of conversation just to make sure everything was okay. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, I look up, and in one of those archways, there's another person that I did not see. Have you ever had that moment where you just look up and just, ooh, like right in your throat? Like, when did that guy get there? And he was extremely unhappy with my presence. I was just, you know, I just kind of like froze for a moment, fumbling a little bit. And so whatever was going on, I don't know. I don't know if it was some kind of weird ritual moon goddess thing. I have no idea. But I just like, everyone's good here? Like, yeah, we're good. Okay, it's all safe. And I got out of there. I don't know what happened. I don't know if a chicken was sacrificed at some point. But I wanted out. I was terrified. Um, Mind you, elite security team. And um, I had true fear. I had true fear. I don't know what happened. I just wanted to get away. I wanted to get away. And actually, when we look at the Christmas story, it has some fear in it. It has some element of fear. So I want to look at that aspect because fear not only is in the Christmas story, fear plays a big role or can play a big role in our lives. And so I want to see how the Christmas story shows us some fear and addresses our fears and so I'm picking up this story in Luke chapter 2, and we have Mary and Joseph, and they're traveling, and Mary has been, is pregnant with uh, baby Jesus, the Christ child, and so they're on their way to, Naz- to Bethlehem, where they need to register, and they're going to have this child. So I'm picking up the story in Luke chapter 2, verse 4. It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So then the scene kind of pans out. We were there in the manger in some kind of either shelter or animal area. And then the scene pans out. Is that in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. So we have the scene and the child's born and laid in a manger. And then it pans out into the field. And you're going, well, what do these guys have to do with anything? Now let's, uh, let's see what happens. It says, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, in my mind's eye, I don't know if you imagine scenes when you're reading or hearing a story. I've seen this. The angel appears, and I always imagine that it appeared in the sky or in the air floating. Anybody else imagine that, that it's in the air? Well, 
when you do some study on this word appeared, is, appeared means it suddenly got there, but it also means stood next to them. It doesn't just mean that it appeared and is floating in the sky and they're having a vision. It means this angel appeared standing next to the shepherds. Now, I don't know what you do when you're a shepherd overnight watching sheep, right? I mean, I know that's what you imagine if you're having trouble sleeping, you imagine sheep. But if you actually have to stay awake, I mean, your mind's playing tricks. You're out there looking at the stars, trying to keep awake. And the next thing you know, bam, an angel's standing next to you. That's a little bit terrifying, wouldn't you think? That's we need new shorts kind of a situation, if I'm being honest, okay? This is a traumatic event. This is way scarier than me running across a ritual in Western's campus. An angel shows up, and it says the glory, not just an angel, there's not just a being next to you. It says the glory of the Lord was on it. So the thing is glowing and bright and shining and terrifying. And you're going, am I seeing this? Are you seeing this? This is a terrifying moment. What does it say? It said the angel appeared and they were filled with great fear. Lots of fear. Mega fear, right? Big time fear. Which you can imagine, right? Suddenly in the middle of the dark, an angel is standing next to you. So, let's think about fear for a little bit. Let's think about fear. Here's Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition. Fear is an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Not that I needed to give you that, but you get the idea, right? A strong emotion. (laughs) You're either anticipating or actually become aware, right? The angel's actually there. So here's... Four typical responses to fear. Right? You've probably heard of these before. Right? There's some people you have the fear and you're ready to fight. Right? You're grabbing for a weapon. You're a concealed carry kind of person. I don't, you're like, I'm ready to go. And you're ready to fight whatever it is. Sometimes you're ready for flight. That means I'm out of here. I'm gone. I don't care what it is. I don't care if I outrun my family. I'm getting to safety. Some are the freeze. Just whoop. I was more the freeze when I went into that sculpture and found that person. How many of you kind of freeze a little bit? Like, uh, maybe if I close my eyes and imagine a happy place, it goes away. But uh, so there's the freeze. And then this one I hadn't looked into before, but there's one called fawn. And it doesn't mean a little deer. Fawn is where you begin to try to woo or talk to whatever's making you afraid to, to talk them down from harming you or doing the thing they were going to do. Right? I know, Grizzly Bear, you're hungry, and I look delicious, and, but you would find, you know, the next tent over has a more plump hiker. You know, go over there. That's what fawn is, right? You're just trying to kind of talk, hello, Mr. Angel, we've been good. These are all our sheep. We haven't stolen a sheep in at least three weeks. These are all our sheep that we're watching. No need to visit us. So that's fawning. So those are typical responses to a situation that brings fear. And this is kind of a fear that there's either a perceived or an actual threat. And so that happens in our life. It happens periodically. It happened in the Christmas story to these shepherds. But then there's another kind of fear that I think we all live with on a more ongoing basis. And it's fear that's more of an anxiety and a worry. I think we encounter this all the time. This kind of fear is, will this whatever, you fill in the blank, work out? This job, this relationship, this family member, 
this medical procedure? What if it doesn't? And so that creates a kind of a fear and a worry in us. We all actually live with the sense that we will die. We will die. There is, death is in front of all of us. And sometimes that has a greater impact on our life and a lesser depending on what we're going through. But that always exists. There's some other fears we live with. These are often deep within us. The am I enough fear? Am I enough? Sometimes you hear the idea of the imposter syndrome where you think if people really knew, if my family really knew, or my coworkers really knew what a, how much I screw up and how much I don't really know what I'm doing, and how, am I really going to be enough? And are, are people going to accept me? Is it going to work out? And that creates a lot of fear and anxiety. Am I enough? Or will I be rejected? Will they turn me away? Will they abandon me? Will they leave me? These kind of fears work on us. We all live with them to some degree for various reasons. And so we see it in the Christmas story. And so let's keep going here. We're in verse 10, Luke 2, verse 10. It says, and the angel said to them, fear not. You're like, well, why didn't you lead with that, right? You just had a terrifying experience of showing up. Well, why didn't you say not to be afraid? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So first I want you to see there's a reversal there. Did you see it? It went from they had great fear, and he's saying, I'm bringing you news of great joy. So it's reversing our fear to joy. What brings it? Verse 11 says, For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. It says a Savior's coming. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now you're thinking, well, that certainly doesn't produce fear. I was afraid of the angel, but you're saying the Savior, the thing that's supposed to bring me great joy, is actually a little baby in a manger. I mean, that's not very terrifying. In fact, it's a little bit odd. Why is a baby in an animal feed box? That doesn't really, that's not scary at all. Unless some of you men are like, you know, I'm not really a baby person. I'm a little concerned. I've never changed a diaper. But for most people, um, it's not very scary. So how does a savior baby take us from great fear to great joy? Because that's what the angel said. Hey, don't be afraid. I'm going to bring you good news of great joy. And the good news is tied up in this baby. So let's keep following what the angels are telling them. Well, first it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. So if one angel standing next to you wasn't terrifying enough, how about a few hundred friends? Right? So boom, they're all there. Again, I visualized them in the sky, but maybe they were just all of a sudden standing around. they're, They're praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, among those with whom he is pleased. So he's saying the announcement of this child, the reversal from great fear to great joy is tied up in this child, and this child is going to bring peace. It's going to bring peace. Peace can mean something simple, you know, a tranquility, a calm, a feeling of rest. Things are calm. Things are peaceful. We're kind of hoping for that in the weather. No ice, wind, storm, cold. Like just... We just have a calm day. That's one understanding of peace. But I think the the promise of Scripture is not that Jesus has come so that you feel a sense of calm. 
He does bring that, but he does more. Peace also means an end of hostilities. An end of hostilities. An end of conflict. Have you ever been in a conflict with somebody? Have you ever had something going on? You think, how's this going to be solved? This one, this one came to mind years ago. We just lived up the road here. And we had two kind of black lab mixes. These dogs. And we built a kennel for them on one end of our house. And they stayed there. And, um, and then the neighbor, whose house kind of backed up to that part of our fence, he came over and he's saying, you know, your dogs are barking all day. And I was like, well, okay, I don't know what I'll do. And we're trying to solve it. And then we thought, well, can we get these collars that make them don't bark? And, and so it just wasn't working. And he was frustrated. I don't want to hear him bark. And then one day, one of the dogs got sick. I'm like, what did, what did they eat? What happened? And what we realized is this neighbor was throwing them like, rib bones over the fence, which they greatly liked, but it was making them sick. But then every time his door opened, they were like, oh boy, more rib bones. So they're barking. So we were kind of at this like, you're mad that my dogs are barking, but you're feeding my dogs, which is making them sick. So there's this kind of a little tension there. You know, I'm kind of, I'm this young guy and he's a, a seasoned man. And so I just like, what do I say here? I was like, sir, you know, I, you, you can't feed my dogs those bones anymore. We wake up in the night and they're vomiting and, and then you're mad that they're barking, but you're feeding them. And so, so he's like, all right. So he invites me over and the peace came after me just listening to him tell a lot of stories for a really long time. And it was a lot of kind of like, you know, I know you're young there, Junior. So I'm going to tell you how the world works. And so I just had to smile and drink hot chocolate or whatever he'd given me. But after that, we just kind of came to a place of understanding. He was a friendly neighbor and he's helpful. I just kind of had to go through the, you just, just listen to him. He might have just been lonely. And he did stop feeding my dogs the bones. I don't know if they ever stopped barking. But, uh, but there was a sense we were in a conflict. We were in a hostility. And there was this peace that came uh, by connecting and relating to each other. Is there a hostility with God? And the angels say, peace, I mean, this child's going to bring peace to you, and it's going to bring an end of fear. And thinking, well, how does this fit in with our life and our story? Do we need to fear this? Is there a hostility between humans and God that needs peace? And the answer is yes. I can show you a number of scriptures, but here's one in James that talks about the fact that where there's a hostility, there's a lack of peace between us and God. James is saying, what, ca- what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This, this conflict comes, this hostility between us and God comes when we say, I want my life, my way, I want my things now, 
And therefore, I don't want you, God, interfering, redirecting. Even though God, he says, I made you, I put the spirit of life in you, I'm actually the very best thing for you. But a lot of our conflict comes because we say it's mine, and I want it my way, and when I do it how I want to do it. And God says, you can, but it gets hard, and it gets hurtful, and it leaves us in a place of hostility. And then when things go wrong, like, well, where were you there, God? So we are. If we want to love the way of this world, the way of this life, we end up in a conflict with God. So the final uh, definition of peace, we looked at a calm feeling, which it's not really talking about. We looked at an end of hostility. We're saying, I want to be on a friendly term. And then peace means more than just the end of hostility. It means a state of friendly relationship. So you move from the conflicts over, but you can have a truce and still be unhappy, right? We can have a ceasefire, but I'm still not talking to you. So there can be an end of conflict, but the idea of peace that these angels are announcing is not only an end of conflict, it's a state of friendly relationships. You actually come into relationship a little bit like we did with a neighbor where it was friendly and not hostile. And this is what the angels are talking about. This is what the Christmas story is talking about, the peace that Christ Jesus brings. In Ephesians 2.13, it says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So Jesus is the peacemaker by dying on the cross, paying the price for our sin and our rebellion. And he's talking about we become one people because he made the peace. He paid the price to bring us to himself. And so this is where we're getting with this scene and the angels. It says they're saying this child is going to grow up. And it says that Jesus takes us from great fear to great joy by bringing us peace. Not just a calm inner feeling, but an absence of the conflict with God and actually into a complete state of relationship. We move from God being the enemy, God being the problem, to God being our savior, God being our friend, God being the closest one we cling to because of Jesus. He's a reconciler. He, he brings us together. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old way where we want to rebel and do it our own way and make our own mess. He says, when you come to Christ, that's put away. You become new. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, humanity at enmity and hostility with God through our own rebellion and sin, Jesus puts it back together. God desires to be connected to his people. He desires us to be in him. And so he went all the way to earth, to a cross to reconcile us. And, and then he gives us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's the reconciler. He's the one that puts us back together. So when these angels announce, hey, you can go from great fear to great joy with this child that's to be born because he's the peace bringer. He's the peacemaker because he stepped in and died. It said that he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He took our sin upon himself, died and rose again so that we can be forgiven. We can be reconciled. We can move out of this state of fear and hostility with God to be connected to him. So what do we do? What do we do with this angel message that we're still celebrating today? The angels give it in here in a word we don't usually use. It says, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold. Anybody use behold in a sentence this week? Behold, I have wrapped my presents. They are under the tree. Behold, it means look. Pay attention. Look. Look. Pay attention. There's something you need to see. Look into this story. Look into this account. Look into this, this child. There's a, a book that a, a pastor I really respect and like called Tim Keller wrote called Hidden Christmas. And he's talking about this very place where it says to look, to pay attention. This is what he says. He says, what is this gospel, this good news at which we must gaze? A Savior is born. If you want to get over your fear of rejection and failure, and be filled with his love? If you want to be completely forgiven and lay down the melancholy burden of self-justification, you have to rest in him as your savior. Fear always haunts and then overwhelms you when you seek to save yourself, to earn your own sense of worth, and to construct your own identity. And what about the greatest fear we have of surrendering control? How can we trust him with our lives? The answer is that the little baby in the manger is the mighty Christ the Lord. So think, perceive, ponder. If the omnipotent Son of God would radically lose control all for you, then you can trust him. And that should undermine your fear. Jesus takes us from great fear of life, of hostility with God, of the things that plague us. He takes us to great joy, that he's in control, that he's got it, that we're in his family forever by bringing us this sense of peace, not tranquility, an end of hostility with God, an end of hostility with ourself, and into a relationship with him where we're in his family and we're guided by him and we have purpose and we have meaning. And that's how we do it. It's through Christ. Let me urge you to look. Pay attention, not just move on from this service, not just move on from this night and get on to the festivities that may be ahead of you, but I need to know. I need to be in Jesus. I need to explore Jesus. I need to ask more questions. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming. We thank you that you move us out of fear, that you bring us peace. I pray that we would look, we would seek, we would follow, we would know. Thank you that you loved us enough to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.